Well, good afternoon. <clears throat> I want to pick up with our third question here. Uh, how am I loving? Uh, of course, the New Testament is certainly filled with the words love, which are so much a part of Jesus' preaching. First uh, John has this line that says, anyone who says I love God and does not love their brother is a liar. That's pretty blunt talk. And uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard that it was said that you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and of course we know what he says, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you. So how am I loving? This goes to the Dominican pillar of community. I like to say on retreats and parish missions that we are hardwired for love. And the first encounter that we have with love is when we become sentient beings within our mothers. Because it is well known that the attitude and behavior of the pregnant mom impacts the child within her. So that if the pregnancy is wanted, it's very different from the one if it is resented. This has an impact on the child from the very outset. But as soon as you're born, as soon as they pull you out of mom, they get you cleaned up and get you to mom as fast as they can to start that bonding process. And then dad's face swims into view. <laughs> and then older faces call grandparents. And then if they are not intent on mayhem, siblings. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you get, if what, what I see at the Catholic Student Center, there's one young couple got married right after graduation and had a child last May. And, of course, that baby is the official baby of the Catholic Student Center <laughs> and just gets passed around from one person to the next, the poor kid. Uh, but there it is. Uh, you're hardwired. And, of course, they've learned this in a famous experiment known as Harlow's Monkeys. Any of you who've studied psychology would know about this. They took uh, the infants of a particular species of monkey and divided them into two groups. One group they left with the birth mothers. The other group they brought to a terry cloth contraption that had a bottle in it for the infant monkey to feed. But that's it. Well, all of the ones who went to the artificial mother died. The ones who stayed with the birth mother thrived. And so you can see in a nursery, in a hospital, a neonatal nursery, you're going to have either volunteers or nurses sitting there in rocking chairs and cuddling those children, even when the mother cannot be there. You're hardwired for love. And when it is missing, there are consequences to this. That's why people like the AA have Al-Anon and Alateen. If you have an addicted set of parents who are incapable of demonstrating 
the kind of parental care and affection that is necessary, the offspring feel that deficit. And it shows up uh, in the choices that they make for marriage, for example, the way they trust people. So love is not simply that St. Valentine's Day sort of warm, fuzzy stuff. Any of you who've been married uh, for more, more than a few years know that that's true. I know a story of a couple that are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and someone said, well, what years were the hardest? They said, the first 50. <laughs> so... The building of community, of a community of love, is a real challenge. Those of us who live in community life, in religious life, know that uh, it's a challenge. It's something that has to be lived every single day. The person standing next to you in choir may have a tick that drives you up the wall, but you may be standing next to that person for a long time to come. So you... You have to learn how to be forbearing. But it's true in marriage as well. My parents were married nearly 52 years, and every time I went home, one or the other would say, you think he or she would know better by now? (laughs) (laughs) So the idea of love is that it is definitely a bonding in varying degrees. Obviously, in a community the size of this one, not everyone is going to know everyone equally closely. In smaller groups, it's possible to get to know one another a lot better. That doesn't mean that you will be best friends. So we, we recognize that there is a varying degree of this. But those who have had the best growing up experiences will find, we'll find it a lot easier later on. Uh, school teachers can tell you on the first day of class, with say with first graders even, which kids come from secure homes. Which, one, which kids are really loved? It's, it's just obvious. Why? Because often they're either reclusive or they go looking for what is missing. And I've been a novice master, and I have seen that in novices who came from homes where there was little love and affection shown or some trauma event made it difficult for the parents to respond, but they will come to community life looking for the family that they never had, and they can become a nuisance, (laughs) and more than a nuisance. So I think it's important for us, if we are going to preach a God of love, that we have some notion in our minds what we mean by love. And how is that manifested? It's one thing to point to the crucifix and talk about Jesus' great love for us. That's fine. But the plain fact of the matter is that it's how we put skin on it that is going to make the difference. There's a Wonderful story in Father Ronald Rollheiser's book, The Holy Longing, which I recommend to everyone, about a child waking up in the night and uh, starts crying, and mom rushes in and says, what's the matter, what's the matter? Uh, The little one says, I'm scared, I'm alone. 
And mom, being a good, pious lady, says, well, you're not always alone. God is with you. The little one says, yeah, but I want somebody with skin on. <laughs> See, that's, that's at the, the, the fundamental basis of, of all of these four questions, though, is how are we putting skin on it? So how are we putting skin on love? If we were asked not to define it, but to say, how do you particularly put skin on it every day? Who, who do you love and how do you show it? And who are the people who almost automatically cause an aversive feeling in you that you don't even want to be near them? You know, what is that, the, this whole idea of what is the relationship that I have with other people? I might be secure in my notion of my relationship to God. Uh, I go to the sacraments. I go to church. I do all the things that Catholics are supposed to do. But what are we doing with regard to our neighbor? After all, Jesus reinforces the statement of the young man about the love of God and neighbor. So there's this, I guess what you call this horizontal dimension to the encounter. Because as Pope Benedict said, that uh, faith is a result of an encounter with a love far greater than any we could imagine. Well, we're preachers. What do we have to say about it? Who is this God of love? How is this manifested? Well, the, the bottom line where the rubber meets the road or where the skin meets skin, that's where the love is. It's not simply in abstract definitions. It's in actions which speak of a God of love speaking through us. We are, as St. Paul says, ambassadors for Christ. So we ask ourselves as Dominicans then at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, you know, how am, how am I loving? How is that manifested, say, in this particular community of Dominican laity? And this is a very large group. So how is it manifested? Not simply by showing up, although it could be, but there should be more to it than that. I mean, we can show up every month at the meeting and sit off in a corner and not talk to anybody. Uh, so there's this whole thing about what is the history of love in our lives? Well, who were the great loves? And was it always people? Did we fall in love with something? And why? Because that will make far more genuine and authentic our witness to to God's love, whether this be in marital community or in the community you build as a single person or if you are in a religious community. And sometimes in a religious community, as in marriage, uh, it's going to be demonstrated in tough love. You might have to call, if I've been a religious superior at least four times, and sometimes you have to call somebody in and say, look, this isn't, this isn't working. We're going to have to have some changes in behavior. You're going to have to stop drinking. 
or you're going to have to stop doing this. Because with each of these four questions, we can ask ourselves, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to keep on doing? So how do we ask ourselves those questions with regard to love? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to keep on doing? That obviously works because people tell you so. But if we're going to preach about God of love, then we better have a pretty good idea what that means. And it ain't the Valentine variety. The fourth pillar. I've often said that if I asked people to draw a circle representing each of these four dynamics of Dominican charism according to and size it according to how important you think that particular circle is, I guarantee you this one would be the biggest circle for the very simple reason that everybody uh, thinks in terms of you know, if you're in a ministry, if you're in a group that is, purports to preach and everything, the bottom line is getting out there and doing it. <clears throat> but it's, it becomes an abstraction if it's not related to these other three. If we're going to serve, we really need to be people of prayer. We have to have a relationship with God that we can show. We have to know our stuff. We need to know our faith. And if we can read, we can learn. If if we've got uh, macro degeneration, then we can get recordings or get somebody to read to us. As long as, uh, you know, we can learn right up to the very end is the best we can. A Dominican is not vowed to be a scholar. A Dominican is vowed to be a student. Lifelong student. Not only of the contents of books about the faith, but a student of the people that they serve. I tell the college kids all the time, you are my professors. How's that? I said, every day you teach me something about yourselves and what your hopes and dreams for the future are. So that when I preach, I don't make a fool of myself talking about stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with your existential situation. So we don't bring, you know, uh, platitudes. People need to have skin on practical Christianity. And in our case, the Catholic community, the Dominican community that we bring to people. So service means that we are willing to put ourselves on the line for somebody else. What are you doing for someone besides yourself is the question to ask. Where does the neighbor figure into the love? Or does it only come, say, with the closest uh, grandchildren or children or spouses That's all very understandable, even if in some cases it's radically lacking. But neighbors, uh, if you read uh, Robert Bella's works, uh, Habits of the Heart, 
or uh, the Good Society, uh, or Robert Putnam, one of his disciples, Bowling Alone. Uh, these are all books about the individualism that is into American culture. And that individualism can really get into us to where we, we see love as something that we do to our advantage. What, what will I gain from this relationship? And if you start it at that fashion, it's just not going to work because they're not being loved. You're just taking. There's this give and take that has to be there. And it's a lifelong thing. I mean, when you're college students and you fall in love, you know, the world revolves around you. But then if you have children, then suddenly that world is <laughs> shattered. Uh, you know, and you're up at two o'clock in the morning or you're up all night with a sick child or something like that. Or if you're in religious life, you've got a member of the community who is in crisis and you're trying to find assistance for them. I've been there, done that. Um, we really do need to know what our interior resource is and what is our exterior resources. How, how do we receive love? I tell young parents at baptisms, at every single baptism, I said, if you don't teach your child anything else, teach that child how to give and receive love. That is the one thing that will make the difference. Two or three weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal, a parishioner gives us a subscription to it, I don't usually read much more than the front page, but they had an, an, a feature article on a population of people that had been followed for more than 20 years uh, on the indices for happiness. And it turns out, even as they continue this study, that by and far, above all other things, including homes, houses, whatever, is that the people who were happiest were the ones who had good relationships. Good relationships. Good friends. Good relationships with spouses and children. These were the happiest people. It wasn't a question of affluence because some of these people were quite poor. I've heard folks uh, tell me we grew up dirt poor, but we didn't know it. We didn't know it because we had all that love in the family. Everything was shared. Everybody had enough, even if we didn't have anything like what other people in the community had. But they had one another. They had one another. And I think that that's at the bottom of all of this because as Dominicans, we do... We do want to consider any time we can serving with one another and not just serving one another, but serving with one another. We want to learn from each other and teach each other. Can we give and receive learning? 
Can we pray with each other? You know, and not just say a Hail Mary together, but talk about our relationship to God and pray with one another. Because this is, this is where the, the skin is put on the, the reality of Dominican life. That we're not invited to, to come simply as individuals into the Dominican laity. We are called into a community of people who, who individually pray but can pray together. People who individually learn but can learn and teach together. People who individually love but can embrace whose love expands with community. And the same with service. Uh, We were talking at lunch about uh, ministry to the homeless. If you can't love those people, you better not be out on the street with them. You just better not be. If they're simply objects of study, they'll smell it. They, it just that's an example. If you're teaching grade school kids, and God knows they will be a challenge to you anywhere from running noses to messy pants and and ADHD and everything in the world. But if you don't love those kids, there's just no point in your being in that room. And so uh, this is where our resources get called forth. The best teachers are the ones who really know how to give and receive love, but they also know how to, to teach from that security. They know how to, how to deal with the children who come with the terrible deficit and who will literally become infatuated with their teacher. That can be a bit of a nuisance. You have to know how to deal with that in a loving way. You don't just send them to the principal's office every time. You know, it's a, but this is, these are items that in our uh, Dominican life that we have to learn to put skin on so that they become real, that they are not just abstractions that we pull from the New Testament or from the teachings of our favorite saints or something like that. Like as if we were pulling something off the shelf and handing it to someone, but we're not involved at all. Um, I once gave a talk to the uh, family practice club at the University of Arizona Medical School. I've been in campus ministry at about four different medical schools. And I told, they came in, it was at noontime, they had their lunches with them, brown bagging it all in that big lecture hall. And I said to them, you want to know what power is? I said, power is when you can make someone come and sit in a a waiting room with a bunch of other sick people for an hour and then about another 15 or 20 minutes without your clothes on in an examining room for the privilege of seeing you for 10 minutes, that is power. (laughs) And that means you better be good when you walk in that room because they're already going to be upset with you. (laughs) I said, you have to be a pastor to your patients. A lawyer has to do the same thing. 
you know, they'll come in, they'll say, I want to write, rewrite my will. You know, all right, well, can you tell me what you have in mind? Well, I want to write out this or that offspring because they've really upset me. And, you know, the, the attorney, if he's smart, is going to say, you know, well, you know, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to do that? Why don't you go home and think it over for a couple of days, then come back. And if you still feel that way, then we'll see about writing, rewriting this. Rather than making that decision, they go home and figure out that, that well, in a couple of weeks down, things change. They come back and they want to rewrite it again. Why not? Be wise enough to, to get past the, that little storm, as it were. And that's, that's what wisdom is, is that in all of these things, in praying, in learning, in loving and serving, the quest for wisdom is a very important one for all of us. But it's certainly true for us who are Dominicans. I love that line. I think it's in the book of wisdom. It says about wisdom, entering into holy souls, she makes of them friends of God and prophets. Well, that's what we want to be as Dominicans, friends of God and prophets. If the love of God confronts a person, okay, we want to be there to say, yeah, you've never experienced this before. And it may challenge some of your cherished political beliefs or sociocultural uh, biases. A gospel that doesn't do that ain't the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is pretty blunt. And right now our political culture in this country would not get a passing grade. So uh, what kind of credentials do you want to show up at the final judgment with? Matthew 25, verses 31 to 45. It can make you very uncomfortable. But the fact is that when Jesus says, you, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And when St. Paul as the vision on the road to Damascus, he says, who are you? And that voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he didn't say, well, I thought I was going after Christians. <laughs> no. I mean, this is, it's against putting, putting skin on it is that, um, that that neighbor, that person we are relating to either as individual Dominican laity, but even, I think, groups or the whole group can challenge themselves to apostolic projects to where you make a point of reaching out. Uh, when the Diocese of Beaumont was first founded, their first Catholic charities was based on the Dominican laity in town. They had already started something. That was years and years ago, but I remember that. It was the Dominican laity who got Catholic charities going in that diocese. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, a matter of making it become real that these 
these four pillars don't aren't just things we read about in the fundamental constitutions or in the rule, but they reach out to all kinds of aspects. If you get a hold of the acts of the Fatima Congress of the Dominican laity and read them, there is some uh, some people there who have been long in the tooth in social justice. The themes were peace, justice, and care of the environment. Read what they have to say because they've been on the front line of it. They are Dominican laity, not some priest or some ordained character or vowed person coming in telling them what they ought to do, but rather these are Dominican laity who are giving their lives to do this, putting skin on it. Uh, There's a book called The Courage to Preach that is put out by a Dominican layperson out west that has some very good things in it, uh, examples of places where Dominican laity can preach and make a difference in the community. So the resources are enormous. Uh, We're meant to do more than meet once a month. If that were true of us friars, we would meet and then go our separate ways from the community meeting. We are meant to act together and to support one another in whatever apostolic endeavors we undertake, but we got to have apostolic endeavors to support. So we don't just come together to pray and maybe read from a book and learn and be nice to one another, but rather there's a question of service that's involved. We uh, witness kind of an, an example of that and uh, learning about a member of, of the community who is, who is struggling now uh, with uh, dementia issues. Uh, how can the community support help? What about the people that you know in your neighborhoods? They may be living right next door to you, but they may be a group. Uh, it could be Dominican laity, could be involved in the homeless ministry. Uh, they can be involved in helping people who are really a, just a, uh, people who are like agrophobes who, can't, who are afraid to even leave the house. I've had to deal with folks who suffered from that. To learn what's, what's there, uh, to, to be of service. And people say, why do you do this? They say, well, uh, I've, I've learned and I, I'm part of a group called Dominican Laity, and they have encouraged me to use what talents God has given to me to reach out to people uh, in your particular situation. That's what we can do for one another. It's called enabling in the positive sense of the word. Rather than enabling in the sense uh, where we give alcohol to a person we know who drinks too much. So we want to enable someone to develop their God-given ability. And to do that, we've got to talk to them. We've got to preach. We've got to serve them. We've got to let them know that There's someone here with skin on who cares whether or not they live or die. And that's because Jesus has come to make this possible for me to love you. Amen. Amen. Are there questions?
Oh, it's the name of the book is The Courage to Preach. Oh, that is the Acts of the Congress of Fatima. That was the Dominican Lay Congress, the most recent one. It's a blue book. I have it in my briefcase. Uh, it came out fairly recently, but it's got all the, for example, it's, they did some clarifications of the job description of the promoter and of the religious assistant. And um, I now have to be sure that people we ask to be religious assistants are willing, you know, to realize some of the expectations that may exist uh, for that position, that you don't just get yourself a chaplain. Poor Sister Henry Suzo had to deal with me on that recently. <laughs> Because she's not, she's a religious assistant for two different groups, for y'all and Tallahassee. Yeah. You can be bouncing from pillar to post, huh? It's a worthy experience. But it's my job to vet those people and make recommendations to the provincial for appointment because they are officially appointed. So, but that's in that blue book. But the talks that were given by those Dominican lay people are printed in there. It's all, everything that happened at that Fatima Congress is there. Did anyone from here go? I know Cynthia Donnelly, one of your uh, provincial leaders went. She was in, she went to Fatima with her husband to that. Well, all right, y'all. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, it's 40 Days for Life. Uh-huh. We uh, go out to Planned Right. Talk to them and, and what can you do for them? For example, what kind of support can you offer? Yes. This is where the church is playing catch up ball. Yes. Because. Care, which women, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's got to put skin on it. Uh, There's no point in just saying thou shalt not. We say we hope that you want and we, we are willing to help keep this life alive. As long as you will, you know, you come with us, we will see, we will take care of you. Now, that's that's the part that's been lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Our Catholic moral tradition is filled with too much thou shalt not rather than. What can we do? 
yes. Yeah. Because a lot of Catholics are saying, oh, well, it's been overturned, so we don't have to do this anymore. It wasn't overturned. It was just kicked down. The ball was kicked down to the states. The justices said nothing about the rights of the unborn child. Nothing. So it didn't change anything. It just, they swept it under the rug of the states. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. As the love letter, not Valentine, but the love letter. Yeah. And I'm doing retreats before that all through men so that people can understand what it is we're going to do. And everyone's invited. Right. Not only are they invited, but they're needed to come into our community. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good examples. I don't know. Y'all are a big group. First time I've ever met with you. I don't know how much is going on here. I can only say... Yeah, if this business of what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to keep on doing? I say, keep on doing it, you know. Uh oh. No, I think this is great. Actually, actually so, Father, um, first of all, I would like to let's give Father a hand. Choke on it. Um, so, because um, Father, as a chapter, we have been, this past year, we have been um, uh, sharing with one another our various apostolic works. Mm-hmm. As I shared with you before, the chapter doesn't have a, a single apostolate, mm-hmm. um, but um, but everybody has something mm-hmm. that they're, uh, some way that they're serving. So, and we always hope that it is coming out of their lives of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um so why don't we take uh, just like um, three or four minutes uh, to, if anybody, we had two people, Marilyn and Gail, um, give your, um, you know, what the projects you're doing or the things that you're involved with. Maybe we could have like the next three or four minutes, just you could, could you let, help Father to know the things that um, you as individuals are doing. The yeah. Um, I do work at our state legislature. Uh-huh. Uh huh. How many of you live in rural communities? Well, part of us live in other states. Yeah, so that's an so yeah. They come from Alabama, they come from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, we're pretty spread out. Yeah, but I'm saying is if you live in rural communities, anytime you've got a bad crop year, you've got some domestic stuff going on in farm families. And if you're alert to that, you can reach out. Dominicans do tend to be somewhat urban, but uh, there's an awful lot going on out in the countryside that awaits attention. 
That's why the National Catholic Rural Life Conference is a good place to, to contemplate opportunities for apostolic work. 